Welcome to The Intersect. I'm Eric Tischler. Apt Associates tackles complex challenges around the world, ranging from improving health and education to assessing the impact of environmental changes. For any given problem, we bring multiple perspectives to the table. We thought it would be enlightening and maybe even fun to pair up colleagues from different disciplines so they can share their ideas and perhaps spark new thinking about how we solve these challenges. Today, I'm joined by two of those colleagues, Drs. Tiffany Harris and Jonathan Dorn. Tiffany is an epidemiologist with over 20 years of experience in research, surveillance, monitoring, and evaluation, and data analysis for infectious and non-infectious diseases. Jonathan is a senior environmental scientist and policy analyst with broad experience in global climate change, renewable energy, and air pollutant emission inventory development. Welcome. Thanks, Eric. Pleasure to be here. Thanks, Eric. Great to be here. Before COVID, indoor air quality probably seemed like a manageable respiratory and quality of life issue to most. Over time, you recognized how inefficiencies in our structures contribute to climate change, and the need for energy efficiency became more urgent. Then the onset of COVID demanded that we look at how our indoor environment affects the transmissibility of infectious diseases. All these concerns remain urgent, and their context remains the same. They impact our indoor air quality. So how do we address the need for different and seemingly competing solutions to related problems? Uh, let's go in chronological order, Jonathan, start with you. From an environmental perspective, what have we historically been solving for when we talk about indoor air quality? Yeah, so I think when discussing air quality, it's important to understand the linkage between indoor air quality, outdoor air quality, and people's behaviors. One uh, statistic that I find interesting is that most people in the United States spend about 90% of their time indoors. This means that indoor air quality can really have a big impact on people's health and that we should search for ways to improve this indoor air quality. Uh, a lot of the indoor air pollutant sources that we're exposed to are the releases of gases or particles, um, which are associated with, with cooking on gas stoves or volatile organic compounds that are released from new furniture or when you uh, wake up in the morning, you go into your bathroom, you start using your personal care products and cleaners, all of these things are emitting pollutants. Exposure to these pollutants are known to, to lead to really poor health outcomes such as asthma and heart disease. And it's really known that inadequate ventilation can increase indoor pollutant levels by not bringing in enough fresh outdoor air to dilute emissions from the indoor sources. And really you want to be carrying a lot of these indoor air pollutants out of your home. So yet the uh, ventilation of homes and buildings are being reduced because of what you mentioned as we are implementing energy efficiency measures to address climate change. And so a lot of these measures essentially are sealing the building envelope that is preventing the exchange of indoor and outdoor air. So as a consequence of this, we're really seeing a rise in the concentration of indoor air pollutant and associated illnesses. And all of this is really being compounded by the increased use of cleaning and sanitizing agents that are helping to prevent the spread of COVID-19. So uh, thank you. That's a great segue to you, Tiffany. So COVID comes along and how are concerns about COVID now affecting indoor air quality and our approaches to it? Yeah, so if everyone remembers way back um, at the beginning of the pandemic, it was really thought that that SARS-CoV-2 was mostly spread by what's termed droplets, which are these larger particles. And because they're they're larger and heavier, they don't really stay suspended in the air for very long, and they'll follow the air onto surfaces or onto somebody near you. Um, and so the guidance was really focused on cleaning surfaces. We were all cleaning everything that we brought into the house, right, and also staying six feet away from others. However, it became pretty clear that, you know, what's called airborne or sometimes aerosol transmission was actually probably the biggest transmission route. So this is when, you know, someone coughs or sneezes or even talks, they generate these smaller particles that because they're small, they can stay suspended in the air for a long period of time and actually can travel pretty far. And so, 
we we that's when all that masking recommendations came out right and, and i think you know if if there is a silver lining to the the pandemic is that you know we have a much better appreciation of the role of indoor air quality in the transmission not only SARS-CoV-2 but many of the other respiratory viruses such as influenza and RSV and you know really you know in settings that are non healthcare settings healthcare settings for years have had things in place to prevent you know transmission of of respiratory viruses but now we've been thinking about indoor air quality and transmission non healthcare settings like school office buildings or even you know public transportation like buses or or trains and you know improving air, indoor air quality can be a really important tool in our our prevention toolbox because it's a population level intervention that doesn't necessarily require really individual behavior change, right? And what's also good is it addresses asymptomatic and pre-symptomatic transmission. So, you know, we all know we should be staying home and we're not feeling well. There's the masking recommendations um, as well, but you may not have symptoms and not realize you're sick yet. So indoor air quality can, can be a tool to help address that as well. Uh, great. So, okay. So the good news then, right, is like, okay, we have greater awareness, but then we're still looking at challenges that seem to be conflicting, right? We need airtight solutions. We need ventilated solutions. So how do we thread the needle um, when looking at these sort of competing needs? Yeah, I think that's a that's an interesting um, question. And I, I think I want to start uh, answering that by talking about kind of the environmental justice implications of, of, you know, what we're seeing here in terms of indoor air quality. So, there's been a growing body of research in, in the last five years that really suggests that this low-income minority communities, including tribal communities, are disproportionately impacted by you know, indoor asthma triggers such as allergens, secondhand smoke, mold, radon, and all these other indoor pollutants. As we uh, just mentioned, there's kind of a direct correlation between indoor and outdoor air quality. And uh, another, I think, interesting statistics is that according to the American Lung Association's 2020 State of the Air report, people of color are about one and a half times more likely to live in an area with poor outdoor air quality than, than white people. And so now, you know, as we face the pandemic and are looking at solutions uh, to, to COVID-19, there's emerging research that's found that um, even exposure to small amounts of air pollution, including the indoor air pollution over a long term, can make someone 8% more likely to die from COVID-19. So there's now a direct link between, you know, exposure to poor air quality and contracting and dying from, from COVID-19. And uh, we see this reflected in, in Black and Hispanic communities as those communities were hit hardest, you know, by the, by the virus. And so I think as we try and you know, look at solutions on tightening the building envelopes. We need to be be very careful that uh, we're also designing for you know adequate ventilation that and filters that can remove the indoor air pollutants. Just to add on that, there's you know several approaches we have now for improving indoor air quality when we're thinking about um, virus transmission. You know, some you might think about the easiest way is just opening a door or window. Well, you might live in an area where that's not very feasible, either because of crime concerns, safety, other safety concerns, or because as you know was mentioned, the outdoor air is not that great either, right? So you don't want to be triggering people's asthma or other issues by, you know, bringing in the outdoor air. Um, and then a lot of the other solutions can be very expensive, right? Overhauling a, a building's HVAC system, putting in these um, uh, UV lights that, that can kill the virus. 
And so, you know, a lot of these solutions are are complicated and pricey um, and other ones have their limitations. And so we really got to bring, I think, a, an equity lens um, in applying these solutions and make sure it's not just wealthier neighborhoods, wealthier institutions that have access to the ones that work better. Also, we don't actually know which ones work the best. Um, a lot of the studies that have been done have really just focused on environmental sampling. So just seeing like, oh, you put a filter in, you test the filter for a bunch of viruses, what do you find? And very few studies have actually tied um, the presence of different interventions into improving into air quality to um, infectious disease outcomes in, in humans. So we need a lot more studies and we need to make sure those studies are done in an equitable way. And, you know, all sorts of populations are in, engaged in those. As Tiffany was just saying, uh, we need to really, you know, focus on, you know, the solutions not only for affluent has, households but also looking at um, lower-income uh, households. So the link between poor access to safe and healthy homes and the disparities in health status among, you know, different subpopulations is is really kind of intriguing. And so really to Better understand the impacts, APT Associates is currently supporting the U.S. Department of Housing and Urban Development to evaluate whether their voucher mobility program is leading to improved health. So this voucher mobility program, um, what it does is that it offers um, you know, financial resources for families living in areas of low economic opportunity the chance to, to move into areas of higher economic opportunity. So in theory, this should really lead to improved indoor and outdoor air quality and reduced pollutant exposure and improved health outcomes. So this study that we're doing is uh, it's a it's a two year study, you know, tracking um, families that are moving from these low economic opportunity areas to higher economic opportunities areas, um, really monitoring the indoor air quality changes between their their old house and their new house and looking at how their health is actually improving when they get into areas where the air quality is better. Do you want to be a little more explicit about why there might be a change in that quality when they make that move? So um, we anticipate that the the changes that will result from moving from the low economic opportunity areas to higher economic opportunities areas comes in several uh, cases. So one is that in the low economic opportunity areas, it's more likely that you're going to be living in industrialized areas. So you're going to be in close proximity to uh, highways, to industrial facilities, to, to power generation facilities that are releasing a lot of pollutants and um, lowering the, the air quality uh, in the outdoors. And, and this is going to impact uh, your, your direct you know, indoor air quality through uh, the exchange of indoor and outdoor air. In addition, in these lower economic opportunity areas, you're more likely to be exposed to allergens such as cockroach allergens mm -hmm. and, and mice allergens that are pre prevalent in, in low economic um, areas. And we would expect to see an improvement as the families are moving into these higher economic zones that are removed from the proximity of these industrial facilities and have uh, better approaches to pest management. So, you know, we're talking a lot about the built environment um, and zoning and redlining. And but what let's talk a little bit about climate change. You know, as we're recording this, um, we just saw some really terrifying um, air pollution here in the United States as a result of wildfires in Canada. Uh, obviously, the result of climate change, uh, you know, again, as we're talking about sort of that um, indoor-outdoor exchange, 
how is that changing the calculus, if at all, as we anticipate seeing more events like that? Yeah, thanks, Eric. I think that um, there is this direct link between climate change and, and indoor air quality. And as you mentioned, the East Coast is currently experiencing uh, poor air quality due to the particulate matter and the smoke from the Canadian wildfires that, that that's drifting, you know, across the, the eastern United States. So uh, this smoke and, and other particulate pollution that's generated outdoors can infiltrate into indoor environments and contribute to increased levels of indoor particulate matter. Um, on, in other areas where we're seeing climate change, uh, you sometimes have increased precipitation and this increased pre precipitation as it becomes more common leads to a, a, a much wetter environment. And uh, this really promotes uh, the growth of mold, dust mites, bacteria, and other biological contaminants that really can reduce air quality because they really thrive in these like damp and humid uh, conditions. And so another um, consequence that we're seeing from climate change and these extreme weather events is that power outages are becoming more and more frequent. And without power, it's really difficult to maintain comfortable indoor temperatures and ventilation needed to maintain healthy you know, indoor air quality. So in a situation like we're experiencing now with the Canadian wildfires, really poor outdoor air quality, if you have a situation where your power is also out and it's becoming really warm in your house and you open your windows to try and increase the ventilation, you're actually exposing yourself to to much higher levels of, of particulate matter that can lead to, to health problems. And another big issue with um, you know these power outages is that people often turn to using portable generators and portable generators release uh, carbon monoxide. It's an, it's an odorless gas that's very poisonous to breathe. And there are literally um, hundreds of deaths and thousands of illnesses each year in the United States from the improper use of these portable generators. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, many people who've been dealing with the the current smoke conditions, you know, have have found it's very, you know, the smoke is very irritating, right? Like even for a otherwise healthy person, it can result in, you know, their eyes burning, you know, coughing, um, other irrit skin irritation. But we really worry about people who have pre-existing conditions, um, you know, wildfire smoke can cause, you know, trigger asthma attacks. Um, but also it can do things like trigger heart attacks and strokes, um, especially in those who, who have pre-existing conditions. So it's definitely something to worry about, especially as this becomes more common. Also, you know, one thing to remember is, you know, when it's, it's the wildfire smoke, it's not just trees burning, but it's cars and buildings. So there's a lot of, as John said, particulates in that, and a lot of contaminants. Um, and we don't even entirely understand sort of what the long-term consequences are is to sort of, you know, repeated exposure to those contaminants and repeated exposures may well become more common as, as we see wildfires grow and become more common. You know, both of you have, you know, and, and, and our colleagues have our eyes wide open about what the multiple fronts are that we're facing this uh, on. Um, so that's the good news. You know, Jonathan, you already mentioned work that that um, we're pursuing with HUD. Uh, Tiffany, you mentioned some of the work we, we can and, and should be doing to help us understand what um, how we might better respond or identify what better responses would be. Uh, anything else you all want to add um, about what we can do moving forward? Okay. Yeah, and, and maybe to end on kind of like a positive note, I'm just trying to think of how to like <laughs> reframe this is that really you have to you have to understand the problem before you can develop a solution. Yeah. And that's really happened in the last you know yes. couple of years as we really understand the problem now and now we're primed to 
go full steam ahead in the research and solutioning. There is a greater appreciation for the role of indoor air quality on respiratory virus transmission. Um, the CDC has been putting a lot more about out about this. And, and about a month ago on May 12th, they actually released updated indoor air quality guidelines um, aimed at to reduce the spread of uh, SARS-CoV-2, but this also applies to other airborne viruses and hazards. And for the first time, they're, they're recommending a minimum number of air changes per hour, which is five and also recommending um, upgrading uh, central HVAC systems um, to have a certain level of uh, filter efficiency. Um, so these will help, you know, building owners, um, others make sure their buildings address these and reduce viral transmission. Um, also, the EPA has released this Clean Air and Buildings Challenges, which is a call to action and a set of guiding principles and best practices to assist building owners and, and operators to reduce risk. So I think there is definitely a growing appreciation, um, improved guidance. Um, however, there's still a lot we don't know, and we need to do the study. So we need to describe the situations and evaluate interventions and see how they impact human health. So that's great, Tiffany, because, you know, you know, like you said, um, there's more work to do. Um, but uh, like you said, Jonathan, you're doing some work right now with HUD. And like you said, Tiffany, um, we're getting guidance to help us. So um, it may be a multifaceted challenge, but at least uh, we're all moving forward um, with an eye towards resolving it. Thank you for doing that work. Thanks, Eric, for this opportunity to discuss. Yes, it's been a great discussion. Thanks. And thank you for joining us at The Intersect. <laughs> 